we're going to be finishing a mini teaching series that we've been doing. So if you're visiting for the first time, this is a good Sunday to come because we're at the end of one teaching series right before we go to a next series, teaching series starting the week after Congress. And actually, this, all this term, we're going to be revisiting our citizens' teaching series that we started last year, or we did a run of last year, where basically as a church, we try to equip one another um, around the whole area of contemporary issues or current issues that are affecting our culture. We open the Bible to see what it might have to say about some of those things. So we're going to be tackling um, things like the EU. Dare we go there? We are going to go there. The EU, poverty, same-sex attraction, gender dysphoria, uh, among other things. And so that's going to be a a fun eight weeks where we're hopefully going to delve into some meaty and worthwhile topics for us to consider. So that's starting not next Sunday, but the Sunday after. As it is today, as I mentioned, I'm finishing a teaching series. For four weeks now, we've been looking at this whole theme of the heart of celebration, as we've been calling it, the heart of celebration. We've been talking about our worship life as individuals, but more specifically, our worship life as a gathered congregation. We started talking about the theme of resilience, that we need to be a resilient people who fight for joy in the Christian life, who hold the line of faith and things that God's spoken to us about when we gather, that we're to be an expectant people. Um, A lot of that's been mentioned already this morning, but that when God is moving and when God is in the house, so to speak, we are to be expectant for things that he's going to do. And last week, Andrew spoke on the whole subject of being childlike in our worship and our affection for God, being childlike. And today, we're going to be finishing that with the subject of being prepared. We're going to talk about what it is to be prepared as believers. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the Apostle Paul writes to a church uh, that's in a bit of a muddle. But what he does say to them is this. He says, when you come together, each one of you has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for the building up. Paul's implication here is that when they come together, people are bringing gifts, if you like. They have, there's a prepared nature here. When you come together, some of you will have this, others will have that. Now, in their church, there was a, a muddle and a mess in that people had too many things and everybody was speaking over the top of one another. So he was saying, look, I know you all have a gift. He's saying, use it like this. But for us in the church in Seaford, but generally in the West, there needs to be an encouragement perhaps to look at it slightly differently. When you come together, come prepared with some of the gifts that God's given you to use for the strengthening and encouraging and building up of the congregation. I think it was Albert Einstein who said the, the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over again and expect different results. And yet in the church, that's exactly what we do a lot of the time. We turn up each Sunday, do the same thing and expect wildly different things every time. Now in the church, it is slightly different because we're not just going through the motions. We're approaching a living person. We're approaching God and what he's looking to do each week changes from week to week. But sometimes there's a challenge and there needs to be a challenge brought to us as the church to not always approach our worship times in the same way and expect wildly different results. We're to be expectant. We're to hold on to that expectancy with resilience. We're to be childlike. And we're to prepared, be prepared. You see, being expectant isn't enough. There needs to be a level of preparation and holding on to that expectancy. 
my family like to remind me often of a time when, as a family, I was a child, we went away for a day's adventure in the woods. Lots of sport, lots of activities, the kind of thing that I loved as a kid. But they remind me that in my excitement and enthusiasm for the day, I jumped into the car and forgot to put my shoes on. I just ran out of the house and got into the car. And so we went for this day of adventure in the woods in the middle of nowhere, and I had to guard the picnic while everyone else went off and had the fun. Because I was expectant, but I wasn't prepared, and so I missed it. How important something is to us is often measured by how much we prepare for it, isn't it? So when you have a special birthday, or a family member has a special birthday, you prepare well in advance, months in advance perhaps, preparing the surprise. Or when people get married, they spend a long time, depends who you ask, if you, the, the bride spends 10, 15 years preparing, preparing for this day, the husband or the, the groom perhaps the night before, but there's a level of preparation that goes into it. Having children, you prepare for that massive life change. We've been decorating our bedroom, getting things down from the loft, washing things, getting family on call, getting prepared to add another velociraptor into our tribe and think, oh gosh, here comes another one for us to cope with. But we're preparing for it and we're spending a lot of time preparing for it because of its significance, because of how we know it's going to upend our life again, perhaps. I think we can just add a third and it'll be fine. Put it in front of the TV. That's parenting by CBeebies. Um, But no, we're preparing for it. Now, why does this matter for us, particularly in the church? And I think for us in Seaford, this matters, especially this theme of preparation. The reason because of that, the reason for that, is that we've got dreams and aspirations in our hearts of what we'd like to see God do in this town. But if we're not prepared for it, if we're not ready for it, When the opportunities come along, if we're not able to grab them with both hands, then there's a chance that we'll miss out on perhaps seeing the fulfillment of the dreams that we have. Many of you know that there's a particular opportunity that we have in the town. Recently, someone approached me and said, we would like you to buy this building off us and use it for the church. Are we prepared for that? I can I consider the opportunity. I feel like God is leading us in a direction, but are we ready? Are we prepared? Have we got the faith for that kind of venture? Have we got the level of heart to heart? We're going for this, God. We're here to love this town, to play our part as a church among other churches, play our part in reaching and loving people in Seaford who don't know Jesus. Are we ready for that? God's looking for people who say yes. And it's my prayer that we're those people who can say yes. So we're to be prepared for that. So today I want to talk along this theme of preparation, but I want to consider specifically that we're to be prepared to meet with God when we gather, that we're to be prepared to receive from God when we gather, and we're to be prepared to give to others as well. Let's start with this. We're to be prepared to meet with God. God is, uh, in Scripture, you see that he's the omnipresent God and that he's everywhere, but he's also somewhere specific. In the same way that the sun's light is everywhere, but it's specifically sourced, so it is with God. In the Old Testament, before the time of Jesus, God's presence was everywhere, but it was specifically sourced in the temple, in the Ark of the Covenant, in the Holy of Holies, the place where it was believed that God dwelt among the earth. And in order to approach God in the Old Testament temple system, There was a lot of regulations and and procedures that one had to go through, sacrifices and ritual cleansings that people had to perform. 
the priests, when they entered the, the temple, needed to offer sacrifices for their guilt. They needed to wash their hands thoroughly. They needed to be careful. Because if they didn't, then what would happen is that their inner uncleanness would be manifest outwardly in leprosy or in some cases in death. If they approached God in worship in a way that was casual and unprepared. In the Psalms as well, there's a number of, emph- number of indications to this. So in Psalm 24, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false or does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord. Clean your hands, prepare your heart. Another Psalm says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. His courts with praise, give thanks to him, bless his name. These are calls for response from the people. The psalmist saying, when you come to God, come with thanksgiving. Don't enter just casually and half-hearted and I've got nothing better to do, so I might as well. Just come with thanksgiving. Or another one, enter, another one here. Oh, come, let us sing to, the, sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. To sing to the Lord. Now, not, a, a number of us aren't comfortable with singing. Are we in a setting like this, particularly where we're perhaps smaller in number, you're aware of your own addition to the choir. <laughs> and so you feel uncomfortable. It's okay. The psalm says, just make a joyful noise. You haven't even got to sing. Make a joyful noise in your preparation. So perhaps when the band are leading, if you don't feel comfortable with singing, just make a joyful noise. Yay! Or something. Perhaps not. Perhaps that's harder or worse than singing. But there's an emphasis in the Old Testament about preparing ourselves and coming in a particular form and, and mode when we approach God in worship. Well, thank goodness for Jesus, eh? Thank goodness that now we haven't got to have that kind of preparation and rigmarole before we enter God's presence, right? Well, actually, Jesus, he said something that um, is perhaps hard for us. If you are offering your gift at the altar, Jesus said, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar, and go and be reconciled with them. Jesus' point is, when you're worshipping, and you remember something that's going to hinder your worship, go and sort that out first. There's even an expectation from Jesus that you can't just rock up to God and expect to be received every time in a casual manner. Jesus' half-brother, James, writes a letter to some churches, and he says this, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Great, I love that. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Wonderful truth. And then it says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Okay. There's an emphasis in from James. Prepare yourself in the way that you approach God. Paul writes to the church, again, in Corinthians, and he puts the emphasis here. In their worship times, it was very chaotic. And he's referring specifically to the breaking of bread and the, the, the eating together as God's people. He says, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why you are weak and ill, and indeed some have died. That's quite shocking, really. Paul's implication is that the church, because of your reckless and at times sinful attitude in worship, some of you have got sick. And because you don't treat the breaking of bread as a somber, serious thing, because you just let anyone eat it, he says some of you have even died. This is serious. Even in the Old Testament, there was preparation required. Even in the New Testament, there's an emphasis on be prepared. Be prepared. Like the Lion King. Be prepared. 
Except in the New Testament, it's not be prepared for the death of the king, but be prepared for an audience with the king, an audience with the king of kings. Come prepared then to meet God. Why is there all this emphasis on preparation? Well, God is holy, which means he's set apart just unto himself. He's like a blazing furnace, the Bible says. And you wouldn't play with fire without caution, without preparing yourself. So you come to a holy God, but you're also to come in, in preparing your hearts before God increases a level of expectation and perhaps anticipation for all that he's able to and going to do when we gather each Sunday. You know, the London Olympics in 2012, they began planning for that over 10 years before the event. October 1996 was the first recorded meeting and they began their preparations for the Olympics for three weeks of our nation's history. Or longer, wasn't it? Because it's Paralympics as well. For six weeks, they prepared for 10 years or over 10 years. You wouldn't prepare to go on holiday. Sorry, you wouldn't go on holiday without preparation. Just rock up at the airport and not bring your passport or consider the climate that you're going to. There's preparation. In fact, on this worship service and airplane thing, I I came across something um, this week in in my preparing for today where someone wrote this about worship services in the church. He says, people on an aeroplane and people in a pew have a lot in common. All of them are on a journey. Most are well-behaved and presentable. Most. Some doze, others enter into a mindless trance. A few gaze out of the window. Most, if not all, are satisfied with a predictable experience. For many, the mark of a good flight and the mark of a good worship service are the same. Nice, we like to say. It was a nice flight. It was a nice worship service. We exit the same way we enter, unmoved, unchanged, unaltered, happy to return next time. (laughs) Well, that's quite a scathing, um, perhaps appraisal of how we approach church sometimes. I'm sure that's not true here, but someone felt it was true of their situation. But it can be so easy for us. I don't know if you ever asked the question of why do I go to church every Sunday? Maybe you did. Maybe you're sitting there now going, why did I come? As Christians, we are very much in the habit of going to church, which isn't a bad thing. We learn a lot about what's important in life through our habits. That's why we teach our children this is an important habit because it communicates a value. But we, some of us just go to church out of habit with very little expectation for anything to happen. So it's just our routine. Well, we go to church reluctantly. We get dragged here perhaps by our spouse, out of duty maybe. But Jesus, he spoke to a crowd and this crowd were familiar with Jesus' cousin, John the Baptizer. And John the Baptist had come to prepare people for Jesus. And what he did was he took himself out of the population centers, lived in the wilderness, called people out to the wilderness, where he preached a message of change and repentance, and he baptized people in water in readiness for Jesus. Jesus, speaking to the crowd, he said to them, Why did you go out to the wilderness? Did you go to the wilderness to see John? Did you go to see someone dressed in royal robes and fancy clothes? He said, no, you didn't do that. If you wanted that, you'd go to the palace in Jerusalem. You went out to see John, to see a prophet, to hear God speak. That's why we gather as a church. Why would you come to church on a Sunday morning? Do we come to be entertained? No, if you wanted a big entertainment service, you'd go to Eastbourne or Brighton. We don't come because... 
we're after a huge experience and impressive performance from the band. We don't come, do we, to watch someone pull a rabbit out of the hat and go, wow, aren't they clever? I'm going to go home now. We don't come to look at professional religious elite or clergymen and women. We don't do that. We come to gather to God. We're here to be with Jesus. We prepare ourselves then, not just for one another, but for him. We leave behind our homes and our lives to come and be with him. So we prepare and we're to be prepared on Sundays to meet with God. When we gather, it's the heart of celebration. There's all kinds of other motives, all kinds of other reasons we come, aren't there? I'm sure there are. It's hard for me. This is my job. I have to prepare hard. I'm going to meet with God. I'm not just here because this is my life. I'm here because I love him and I want to know him. And we believe, don't we, that what we need and what Seaford needs is him. That's why we're here, to pray for that. So increasing our expectation and our preparedness for him is important. Secondly, we come prepared to receive from him. We're to be prepared to receive from him. Which perhaps is a, a shocking thing to hear because we think, oh, we're here for God. Well, when we come to God, what are we looking to do? Are we looking to serve him, to add to him, as though my prayers and my songs fill up a lack in God? Do you think the Trinity is sitting around going, I just feel so low in self-esteem. Thank goodness they're singing to me again. No, he doesn't need us. He doesn't need our worship. When we come to him, we come because we know that he is what we need more than anything else. And so we receive from him. It's the shocking thing about God that when he sent his son, he didn't send his son to sit on a throne and receive our adoration and our tithes and offerings, just live in splendor. He came as a servant. You remember that moment where he said to his disciples, where he took off his, or he wrapped a towel around his, his waist and bent down his knees and washed his servants, his disciples' feet like a common slave? The God of the universe came to serve. So he intends for us to receive. There's a, a story that John Piper tells in his book, Desiring God. He said that the, he was once overheard a, a lady talking about prayer. And he said to her, is there anything I can pray for you for? And she said, oh no, I, I don't need anything for myself. I want to pray for other people. What a noble spirit. What a lovely attitude. I want to pray for other people. To which he said, that is the completely wrong approach to prayer. <laughs> he rebuked her firmly. Why? Because when we come to God, what we're saying is, I need you more than anything else. And in needing him, we glorify him. In the same way that plunging my head into a bowl of water or a fountain and drinking it glorifies the fountain. So it is when we come to God, if we cling on to him and say, I want you, I need you. It glorifies him more than anything else. We are spiritually sick people. And we're to be those people constantly buzzing the nurse. Please come and help. Please, I need you. Why? Because it glorifies him. And that's part of the heart of our worship. But of course, there is a big difference between church and an aeroplane going on a flight. The big difference is that I would never turn up late for a flight because <laughs> I would miss it. But my attitudes to church and to a lot of things that are important to me is, well, I have a problem with promptness. Um, we all do, don't we? I don't, you probably don't do as much as I do, but this is my particular problem, that whenever we go to a wedding as a family, there's always going to be an argument because I'm always going to leave getting ready for the wedding till the last possible minute. And one of my more familiar phrases that my mouth is used to pronouncing more than any other phrase is, I'm sorry I'm late. <laughs> and I, hate, I really don't like being late. I don't like being late because when I'm late for something, I'm unfocused, I'm stressed. 
I'm not fully present. I'm not fully able to receive in the moment. I play a lot of squash. And um, I've noticed a correlation between my promptness and my performance. In fact, I've noticed that the, the earlier I arrive for a match, the more chance I stand of winning the game. And so I've learned that if I want to win on the squash court, I need to arrive early and I want to win. I'm very competitive. And so it drives me to want to arrive early because I know when I'm there early, I'm focused, I'm in the room, I'm present. I think that's probably true with church a lot of the time. There's so much that goes on just to get here all the time that we arrive and we think, it takes me 10 minutes just to be in the room, just to be present. So part of the heart of preparation is to prepare yourself to receive. And part of that is to approach God, approach times together with an ability to respond, to meet with God and to hear from him, to receive. That's important. Now, I know life is chaotic and often getting place on time is very hard. We, we meet to pray at nine on Sunday mornings. You'd be welcome to join us. In fact, praying this morning, I thought was a wonderful way of preparing my heart. Or perhaps, just I don't know what it is for you. I, I know that I'm someone who struggles with problems, so I have to devise all kinds of tricks, change my watch so that I think I'm going to be late or something until my brain realizes, you don't need to worry about your clock. It's 10 minutes behind or whatever it is. Or, or perhaps it's just telling ourselves, church starts at 9.45. I can come, have coffee, have brioche, and then I'm ready to receive. Again, the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over again and expect different results. And this, I think, is one of those areas where we think we can make huge gains in terms of the depth of worship that we're able to go and experience God if we were able to just arrive ready to receive. I speak for myself and I think probably for some of us as well. But the reassuring thing in worship and in prayer, I think, is that although life is crazy, crazy busy for many of us, although you might be listening to this thinking preparation sounds nice, but I have such little time to prepare. And I, I get that. I understand that. But that's where I'm encouraged because I believe, and I think I've got, I think I've got some Bible verses to back it up. I believe it's true that this, this is the case. Oh, maybe my battery's running down. Can we slip? Here we go. God wants our attention more than he wants our time. Jesus kind of rebuked some people for praying, just long, waffly, long-winded prayers. It took a long time over it, but they weren't really giving God their attention. So you might be very busy and have little time, but when you're here, we're able to give God our attention. That's part of the prepared heart. We all know what it's like when you talk to someone and you've got their time, but you haven't really got their attention. I've I'm made this rule that if I'm talking to someone, my phone goes, I don't even look at it. It's not important. It's urgent, but it's not important. And for many of us, we get those two things the wrong way around. It's urgent. It must be important. Oh, it was a sales call. Anyway, where were we? We've had that experience where someone will perhaps be talking to you and, and trying to draw you out, ask you some deep questions about your life, and then the phone goes and they answer it. And you think, I'm not going to pursue an emotional intimacy with you now. I'm not going to open up and be vulnerable. I've got your time, but I haven't got your attention. And again, we know what it's like when you sit with someone. And you know they're busy, but you know when they're there, they're all there. Some of you are exceptional at this. When I talk to you, I feel like I matter to you. <laughs> you have this thing where you, you're able to make people believe that they are important to you, which is a gift because you give people their attention. So it is with God. We're to come ready to meet God and we're to come ready to receive from God. 
You know, on, on Sunday mornings, our teams, and I appreciate a lot of this is in-housey a little bit this morning. So if you're visiting, it's kind of an insight into what we're going through as a church. But on Sundays, our teams, many of them get here at 8 a.m., um, setting up the chairs and the band and climbing up ladders, don't tell the school, climbing up ladders to arrange the lights. Or we're setting up the kids' work rooms, getting the coffee ready, getting the music in the cafe ready, Ali, to the right disco temperature. Here we go. Why do we do that? I mean, the band could just come at 10 and say, well, it starts at 10, we're here at 10. If you just grab your own chair, that'd be fine. You could do that. There's nothing wrong with that. And perhaps in Africa, right, that's what you do. We start when the people are here. So the band come at 10. And then, okay, we'll wait for you. But we don't, we don't do that. Why? Well, because we're English and, you know, we're, we're a cold climate culture, right? So we are very um, formal about our timekeeping. But it's also because we want to do everything we can to remove as many distractions so that when people gather to worship, we've done what we can to remove distractions. We're trying to sort out the typo so there's less distractions or we're trying to do this so there's less distractions so that you're here and you're able to receive from God. It's a lot of what goes on. It's why we, I don't know, put Bible verses on the screen because again, if you haven't got a Bible, that's okay. We want you to engage. We want you to receive from God. It's an important it's an important part of that. And you know, a good question for, for us as Christians to ask in our lives of worship. It isn't so much the question, is this thing I'm about to do right or wrong? Is it right or wrong that I go there or watch that or listen to that? That's not a, an overly useful question. And actually for Christians, right and wrong isn't the defining principle. Paul says in, in Corinth, Corinthians that everything's permissible for me. It's not everything's beneficial. So it is for us in the church, everything's permissible it's not all beneficial, and therein gives us a clue to a better question. When it comes to worship, is it right that I do this? Is it wrong that I live my life like that? Is it wrong that I go out with that person? Is it right that I marry that person? It's not always the most helpful question. Here's a better question. Is this going to help me get closer to God? That's the question. Is this going to help me get closer to God? And if it is, do it with all your might. If it's not, don't do it at all. Is going out with this person, marrying that person, is taking that job going to help me get closer to God? If it is, do it with all your might. Throw aside everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. But if it's not, don't do it at all. Steer well clear of it because it's, so, it's too important for us to miss. So the heart of celebration is being prepared to meet God. It's being prepared to receive from God. And lastly, it's being prepared to give. It's being prepared to give. Let's revisit that um, verse in Corinthians. If my clicker works, here we go. Prepared to give. Here it is. When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation. And then he says, let all things be done for building up for the encouragement of the people around you. The reason that God has given you gifts, and he has given you gifts, it's false humility to say, oh, I've got no gifts. God has given you gifts. The reason he's given you gifts is to encourage and strengthen the people around you, to participate in the life of the church and not just spectate. Now, what that looks like changes from season to season. I understand that depending on how much time you've got and how, in what capacity you're able to get involved. But the principle's true. When you're gathered, when we gather and worship, we're here not to spectate, but to participate, to give our all. And that might just mean being fully present 
and contributing in worship with all of the gusto that we can muster. It might mean that we can pray for the person next to us at the end of the meeting. It might mean that we can bring a, a Bible reading or a, or a contribution during the worship service like Paul seems to hint at here, using the gifts that God's given you. It might mean that you're able to serve our children and teach them about Jesus and serve the adults by looking after the kids so we can hopefully meet God together. It looks like different things depending on who we are and where we're at and what our gifts are. I know many people who on top of a busy family life are still able to serve two, sometimes three Sundays out of every four. And it's hard work. But why are we doing it? Because we want to give. We want to give. Now, I know this is a lesson that I'm constantly having to learn. And actually, a couple of weeks ago, God spoke to me uh, in quite a, a clear way that I was really quite surprised at. That I think is helpful and an encouragement for us all. So I, w- I was sleeping and I had a dream. And it, it was a dream in that I was, it was a dream of me preaching, um, which was funny because I wasn't feeling anxious about preaching, which is quite nice. <laughs> I was off duty for a while, but I was preaching. And in my dream, I thought the sermon was going well. There were nods and laughs and smiles. And then all of a sudden, people made excuses and had to get up to go. And I was preaching. And suddenly there was two people left in the room. And I had this thought in my dream, shall I carry on? And in my dream, I concluded, no, there's no point, only two people. And so I said to the people that were watching, should we call it a day? It's not really worth it, is it? And then my dream switched. And there was a few of us with someone who was lacking in personal hygiene. And we were washing their feet. And we were getting very dirty in the process. And then I woke up. And it was strange because I hadn't really been thinking about anything like this. And quick as a flash, in thinking about my dream, the Lord said to me, your preaching is only ever washing feet. You're not doing this for self, for self-glory, self-gratification. You're doing it to serve, to wash feet. And I thought, well, thank you, God. That's encouraging. It's a good reminder. And then in the evening, I went to the uh, hunger prayer meeting. And one of the girls from the youth group was giving a 10-minute talk. And she opened the Bible and said, I want to talk about Jesus washing feet. And we're here to serve. And I thought... Okay, I think God might be saying something to me today. And I know how much I need to hear that. That I'm here to serve and to do what I can to use the gift that God's given me to serve, to wash feet. But it's not just true of me. It's true of us all. Because Jesus said that the servant is in fact the greatest. You want to be great? I know we do. I know many of us do. I want to be great, God. I want to be great for you, God. What shall I do, God? What nation shall I change, God? Change that nappy. That's how you'll be great. We all want to be revolutionaries, but no one wants to wash the dishes. Because Jesus says, you want to be great, you serve. Because the servant is the greatest of all. A good joke. (laughs) That's really funny. No, no. The servant actually is the greatest of all. Now, the people at the front often get the most adulation or influence, but they're not the greatest necessarily. I look on a room of people who I know are far greater than I am in the kingdom of God. It's his approval that we're living for, after all. And he measures greatness differently. He measures it in the way that we serve. And ultimately, we follow a saviour who became great by laying aside his majesty. He came to die. He came to wash feet. He came to give it all up to serve us. So we come to worship God. We come to receive from God. We come to give in the way that our saviour did. And you know what I find encouraging about Jesus as well is that at the end of his ministry, at the end of three years of discipling a group of people, his disciples still hadn't got it. 
But do you know what he said to them? He said, you're clean because of the word I've spoken to you. And then at the end of John's gospel, he breathes on them and says, receive my spirit. And at the beginning of Luke, Pentecost happens and the Holy Spirit falls and baptizes them with power. And then in chapter 3 of the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit falls on them and baptizes them with power. Throughout the book of Acts, you see that the Holy Spirit is our helper to help us cultivate a life of celebration where we're able to be bold and courageous and use our gifts and meet with God. And that's the God that we worship and follow. The one who's given himself for us and has sent his spirit into our hearts to empower us for what he's called us to do. Let me pray. I'm going to get the band up and sing a song of response. Father, thank you for this truth or this thing, the theme that we've been looking at, God, that we, we want to be a church that celebrates you in a way that you deserve celebration. That we're able to be a people who are childlike, who are expectant, resilient, but also, God, help us to be a prepared people. There's a difference between being confident before the throne of God and being casual before the throne of God. I ask that you'd make us a confident and expectant people. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.